Howie. I dominated even more than usual. Duck. Yeah, I don't think so, Howie. <laughs> Triple M's Winter Breakfast. Oh, if only we could talk we, about half the stuff we, that comes up in the little meeting we had beforehand, <laughs> Duck. It'd be, uh, well, we'd be on from 6 to 9 at night, not in the morning, we, I think. We have to stop that uh, that opener, that uh, one yay thing, because I'm walking down the street <laughs> and I'm I'm getting one yay, which is uh, was a joke at the time, Aaron. It just keeps going and going. Uh, good morning, everyone. Welcome to the weekend, uh, the winter breakfast. Mark Howard and Wayne Carey, 7.7 degrees. We're heading to a top of 15. A lot to get through today. Todd Wood. Woodbridge will bring us up to date on everything at Wimbledon. Uh, so much to talk about. Jack Miller, who won his first MotoGP, he will join us after 7 o'clock, which is fantastic. I'm looking forward to that, as well as David Spears, who's really in the political sphere. So we've got a lot of work to do between yep. now and quarter past seven to get across that. Mark Bosnich will come on and tell us about some extraordinary soccer going on. Andrew Rule, all things crime. And Mike Amor, who's got a special investigation tonight revolving around the young Aussie baseballer, that, which uh, will be that, a touch harrowing, to yeah, be completely be, honest. Uh, I know, it will be, but that'll be riveting TV on Channel 7. Yeah, so listening and looking forward to all that. But at the moment, Duck, uh, we are facing one of the great sporting upsets of recent... Give me a few sporting upsets of recent times, and I'll try and explain... Explain okay. to you where this one fits in. Well, well thanks for giving me some warning, but off, off the top <laughs> well, of my head... Well, if we'd spoke about what we could actually speak about on air I in the say, meeting, I'd, we'd be fine. Well, I'd say Leicester City, obviously. Oh, yeah. Well, they were about 5,000 to 1, 5,000 to 1 at the start of the year. Winning the EPL. I'd say the one. I'd, Michelle Payne was yes. a massive upset. Yes, 100 to 1. Um, well, the Jack Miller, Jackie who we're Miller. going to be having a chat to. 500 to 1. And I'm going to go way back to the great and late now, Muhammad Ali, when he beat George Foreman. That was a massive, massive upset. Well, well there's some good ones. There's one developing at the moment. England are currently playing Iceland in the round of 16 at Euro. England scored in the third minute through a Wayne Rooney penalty. Now, you would have heard of Wayne Rooney, obviously, and a very well-known player. Have you heard... Great name. Have you heard of Rainer Sigurdsson, who scored in the sixth minute for Iceland? Nope. Have you heard of Colbin Sigthorsson, who scored in the 18th minute for Iceland? The population of Iceland, 330,000. If they beat... England here. Um, they've had a tough week already, the Poms, uh, with the old Brexit scenario. <laughs> maybe maybe they're trying to give in to Iceland to get sort of a, a trade deal maybe going and just boost their economy a maybe touch. Maybe they're just worried about uh, that they've lost uh, a lot of their money that is just sort of halved over the, uh, over well, the So Rooney's only worth half a billion well, now, right. is he? I, I might send uh, Wayne a little message and say, uh, From would, you, would you rather be known as Wanye Rooney? <laughs> <laughs> what we need to do at some stage is get the commentary. Uh, currently, 50 minutes in. It's England 1, Iceland 2. Now, Duck, if you weren't aware of the Icelandic operation, as I said... How many, how many people live in Iceland? 332,000. The capital is, as you well know... No. Reykjavik. Right. Beautiful oh, part of the world. A little bit chilly. It must be admitted, a little bit chilly. Their football commentators, this is a, a bit of commentary when they scored in their last match. It's cold there, so if anything good happens, they get oh, reasonably well, it's pretty, pretty excited. pretty obvious it's cold in Iceland. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> oh, no, no, fair point, but they get excited. <laughs> they don't have much to get excited about. Listen to this bit of commentary from their last game. Oh, I think we get the gist, bros, that he was reasonably happy. If England go down to Iceland... Well, if, how he's going to go off. Well, England might just shut up shop. 
they, they might just close down as a country. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> wow. England won Iceland two, 51 minutes into the game in entirety. Should we go to Wimbledon? Absolutely. All right. The number one man over there, 16-time Grand Slam winner. Seven's coverage dominating 7-2. Starts again at 8.30. Live and PM free tonight. on That's seven. It. That's it. Who you apparently work for with all those plugs. Todd Woolbridge, uh, hello and good evening to you, Woody. Yeah, it's good evening here. Good morning to you guys. How are you doing? Yeah, well, well. before we get to the tennis, uh, the Brexit scenario has destroyed the English. They're currently trailing Iceland. I'm not sure if you're aware. 2-1. If they lose and get kicked out of the Euros by Iceland, Woody, there's going to be some very, very flat English people over there. You could really take advantage of this situation. Yeah, we could. Well, we, I wouldn't mind the pound dropping a little bit more if that would help because it's pretty expensive over here as well. Oh, come on, Woody. Uh, you could buy Wimbledon yeah. the way the pound is at the moment. <laughs> Sam Stozer had a win overnight, which was great. Not so good for Sam Groth. Yeah, no, the two Sams are the, but the only Aussies on court today at Wimbledon. And Sam Stozer started the day off. Pretty good form. Not, not bad for her because grass is, I think, probably everybody knows her least favourite surface. But she came in with confidence off uh, the semis at the French and Seeded 14 here, so back in the, the top 15 in the world. So that's a mighty fine effort. And she had a good draw uh, against Magda Lynette of Poland and went through five and three. Wasn't perfect, um, but she's through to the second round where she's got a pretty tough one against um, a player who's been out of sorts um, this year in, in Sabine Lazicki. But, of course, she's been a Wimbledon finalist. She's dangerous on grass. So the next one's tough for Sam. Um, for Sam Groth, well, he's had a really rough mm. year. He's only won three tour matches. But, gee, I tell you what, you can't get much worse draws. He started in Australia mm. with Andy Murray, then went to the French and had Rafael Nadal, and then gets Kane Ishikori here at Wimbledon. So if your confidence is low and you keep getting those sorts of draws, it makes it tough. So, so he put up a good effort. Um, you know, probably was never going to win that one in terms of the confidence coming in. But uh, he was out on court one and he put up a good showing but ended up losing in straight. Yeah, he's had a very tough draw. Let's hear from Sam Stoza after her first round win. Oh, I think I played a yeah, really decent level the whole way through. So there was just one little patch with those double faults. But apart from that, I felt like I was yeah, relatively in control of what was going on and was able to keep that going. So, yeah, overall pretty happy. Woody, uh, some big games tonight continuing on 7-2 from 8.30. Tomic v Vadasco. Any chance Vadasco could uh, cause an upset here? Yeah, most definitely. I mean, we know he can play some seriously good tennis. Uh, we start the coverage uh, on day two with Nick Kyrgios. He takes on Stepanek, and then Bernie follows straight after him on uh, court number two, I think it is. But for Bernie, he's actually really relaxed and, and in pretty good space. You know, we, we saw all the stuff going on on clay and all the bad press. With him, it's a, a matter of colour. Get him off the red stuff, put him on the green, and he becomes a completely different player and a completely different character. So he goes into that match with a 4-1 head-to-head, having won the last four times they've played, and most recently at Queen's Club. So Tomic's definitely the favourite, but Vadasco is, is a big ball striker and loves to just go for it. So you don't want to let him get on a roll. You mentioned uh, Kyrgios and Stepanak. Uh, Stepanak, uh, Bruce McAvaney the other night on uh, Channel 7 Friday Night Footy uh, described him as the boomer Harvey of tennis. He's uh, 37, he's been around for a while, but he can be dangerous, but uh, not on grass. Well, no, he's, he, he can be dangerous on anything, but whether he's got enough legs in him to finish the matches off, I think that's the question. And Roland Garros just a few weeks ago, first round he led Andy Murray two sets to love but couldn't finish it off. Um, and I think against Nick, 
the, the thing with Stepanek, he's old and wily. Uh, he likes to play cat and mouse. And if you get into that confrontation with him, he'll probably drag you in and beat you. But I don't think Nick Kyrgios is going to take that type of game plan. He's going to go out and try and blow him off the court. And if he does take that style, I think he'll win pretty comfortably. But, you know, you, you, what, what another thing Kyrgios will do is he will try to he will try to distract. He knows Nick's temper, and he would throw every trick in the book that he can possibly do. You know, the old bend down, tie the shoelaces up, all that type <laughs> of stuff will go on. But um, a bit like the old ladies' midweek stuff. But I tell you what, I think Nick will do pretty well. Um, they, they did play the first time Nick ever played a Grand Slam match. That was a few years ago back at Roland Garros when Nick got a wild card there. So I'm confident it'll be a tough one, but he'll get through. Federer got through, I see, against Pella, 7-6, so a couple of tiebreakers. So Anna Ivanovic was really the only higher-ranked player that's disappeared at this stage. I've got a question for you, Woody, as we let you go, and it is a divisive one, not just in world tennis, but in world sport. Uh, whether you can couch an answer for this one, I'm not too sure. Maria Sharapova, drug cheat or not a drug cheat? Well, the rules say that she is. Um, the, the one thing that I've had a bit of tr- trouble with is that in December she wasn't, but in January she was. And I think that's the, the question that a lot of people ask when you talk about the evolution of drugs in sport is that over time some things are legal and then they become illegal and I think that's the hardest part to justify about a lot of these cases so um, but if you go by what the rule book says she failed a test when she shouldn't have had something in her body and that becomes her issue. Yeah I think you're probably right about that in the way of modern sport. Woody appreciate your time. Seven's coverage continuing tonight at 7.2 from 8.30pm. Good luck and hopefully the Aussie boys can get the job done Woody. Yeah, yeah, it's a big day. We've got, uh, uh, just before you go, there's mm. also like Luke Savile on court, Jordan Thompson on court, John Millman and Matt Barton. So let's hope we can get a few of them through. Well, with 16 minutes to go, if England lose to Iceland, they might just call the whole tournament off, Woody, but we'll see how we go. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be, uh, the pubs won't be pumping here tonight, that's for sure. No, they won't be. Todd Woodbridge, a superstar. So much to get through. We'll have a look at overnight sport. We're going political with David Spears and Jack Miller. The young man that uh, won the Moto Grand Prix. Well, our man Jakey, he's a very, very persistent man, and he pestered him till Jack said he'd come on. And I'm looking for what type of questions are you going with with David Spears in the political sphere? I, you know what I'm going to do? Mm. Listen. Sometimes it's better to just listen. Soak it in, Howie. But if Soak I listen, in. someone's going to have to ask him a question at some point. <laughs> well, let's hope he can talk. Duck, a terrible, terrible story that's going to come back to light tonight on 7 uh, with Mike Amor doing a special documentary. I take you back to August 2013 and a young gentleman from Oak Park in Melbourne by the name of Chris Lane, who died on August 16, 2013, at the age of 22. He shot in the back and left for dead in a small town of America called Duncan after he left his girlfriend Sarah Parker's place and went for a jog. This was a man over there playing baseball and following his dream. There's no rhyme, no reason to it. We're going to be joined on the line by a man that knew Chris very, very well, the president of the Essendon Baseball Club, that he's trying to make a small bit of good out of what is can only be mm-hmm. described as a tragic story. His name is Tony Cornish. He's a good friend of this show. Good morning, Tony. How are you? Yeah, good morning, guys. How are you? Yeah, wonderful to speak to you. Before we get on to the GoFundMe situation that you're trying to get up and running and that you're currently running at the moment, tell us a little bit about this man, Chris Lane, and the effect it had on everyone in the community. 
Oh, it was huge. Um, at, at the time, um, you know, when it first happened, it was a shock, and uh, we decided the week later to run a tribute game, and I think there was something like 2,500 people down at our little baseball field down in Essendon uh, from all, all sports and uh, all different baseball clubs to support the, uh, you know, the game and to show their respects for Chris. It was uh, a very big event for us. Uh, www.gofundme.com slash Chris Lane Baseball. So check out the GoFundMe page. Tell us a little bit about what this is about. Yeah, so uh, what happened was um, after the event, uh, there was a Major League Baseball game at Sydney, you're probably all aware of, uh, on the Sydney Cricket Ground. And um, and Major League Baseball announced that they will support a project to build a uh, Chris Lane field in memory of Chris uh, down at our field down in Boeing Reserve. And... Um, and since then, it's taken a few years to get through council. Council have been fantastic, the City of Mooney Valley, to help us uh, get it up and running. And we've finally got plans and uh, uh, virtually approved. And uh, through the community, they've all supported it as well. So that's ready to go. But we're shy a few hundred thousand dollars to, uh, to finish it. Major League Baseball has contributed money and Musco uh, Lighting, who are the largest lighting company in the world for sports fields, have supplied the lights. And all we need is a few hundred grand to uh, try and uh, uh, to get it over the line, and that's what we're looking for. Yeah, and I think obviously the uh, documentary tonight, uh, which is called In Cold Blood, the Chris Lane story, that'll go a long way to helping, hopefully, uh, raise that money. Yeah, absolutely. So we have the GoFundMe page, which will be promoted on the uh, on the documentary tonight. And there is also for larger corporations, there's a uh, another site that uh, Baseball Australia have put together, which is ASF au project Chris Lane Memorial Field, and that's a tax-deductible site, and uh, people can do- donate to that or companies can donate to that as well. Tony, how are you going to go? H- have you seen the documentary? And if you haven't, how are you going to go watching it tonight? Okay, so no, I've only seen the trailer like most people. Um, I spoke to Donna, uh, Chris's mother, the other day, and uh, she doesn't want to talk about the field until after the documentary because obviously it's going to it's going to be a very teary event for all of us and everyone who knew Chris because, uh, you know, he, he was one of the good guys and uh, everyone loved him and, and he was a, an elite sportsman for us and uh, was a big plan for our club and probably Baseball Victoria in Australia in years to come. So it's a very sad moment for us and it'll just uh, open some wounds again, I think. Rose, you're going to tweet that out on the a Triple M Breakfast? Yes, at MMM Hot Breakfast. So it's gofundme.com, Chris Lane Baseball, if you wanted to do a search right now. Hey, Tone, best of luck with everything. We appreciate you coming on and having a chat with us in what's going to be a very difficult time for everyone involved with the young man. Absolutely, Mark. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah, great to speak to Tony Cornish. So we will speak uh, to Mike Amor at about 8.30 today, who has made the documentary with Chris Lane. And you've seen some of the clips, stuck. You've seen them with it's, an interview with one of the men involved. Uh, chill, it's it's sens- chilling, it, yeah. it is senseless to think the, uh, you know, the three boys involved were 15, 16 and 17 years of age in a car. It's just senseless now. They're obviously all in prison, and and uh, and but the effect that it has on their families and everything, you know, it's four wasted lives. Uh, not only four wasted lives, but then the the on flow effect of that. It's just you just I, I just you just don't get it. No, it's, I just don't it's, get it's it. that old theory about dropping a, a stone in a pond and the ripples continue and continue, yep. and the amount of people that are hit by those ripples. So we'll speak a little bit later on to Mike Amor. 
Really excited about our next guest, uh, Duck. I was sitting in the Channel 10 studio hosting the MotoGP the other night. It was raining. Valentino Rossi came off. Davizioso had problems. Lorenzo couldn't get the job done. And one man just kept plugging away. And in the second part of the race, started eighth on the grid after originally starting 18th and won his inaugural MotoGP race, Jack Miller. He was very emotional afterwards. He is about to join us on the line. He's on the line. He is. But before that, this is Jack immediately after the race i don't know what to feel at the moment i mean a lot of people have badmouthed us and everything like that and said that this project wouldn't work or anything like that and i just hope you know that we've showed them wrong and that we can ride a bike i'm not an idiot man thank you to honda for taking this risk on me it's amazing i can't talk money Joining names like Doohan as a MotoGP winner, Gardner, Vermeulen, Beatty, you can now throw in the name Jack, Jack Miller. Miller. And he joins us on the line from the Netherlands. Good morning to you, Jack. Well, probably good evening to you. How are you? And congratulations. Yeah, morning, guys. Uh, you know, over the moon, that's for sure. It still hasn't quite sunk in, but uh, it's definitely a great feeling, that's for sure. How have you celebrated, uh, Jack? Sounds like you've uh, <laughs> He's done you know, a good job of it. Done a good job of it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if you heard me in that interview. Then I lost my voice by the time I got the corner two from yelling in my helmet. So uh, yeah, it hasn't gotten much better, especially you know with a few beers thrown in last night. It didn't help the case. Obviously, uh, just watching watching the race, it hit home just as you came around that last little bend. You turned around, you knew you had the game won, you put her up on the back wheel. Mm. What was that feeling like right there? Oh, I mean, it just, you know, it felt like anything in the world, you know, nothing compared to that. I mean, it's, I've worked my whole life for that, you know, from being a kid riding a bike, you know, around my farm to to going and racing dirt track and motocross and riding my first year in Australia and then moving to Europe, you know, in 2010. It's just everything comes into mind, you know, all the hard days. I mean, I've broken over 30 bones. So to be sat in the hospital on the bad days and it's all gone wrong and, you know, to pick yourself up and all that, it just all comes rushing back to you and the amount of emotion is just indescribable. I was explaining to Duck yesterday, Jack, about going down to Princess Park, probably in your first year in the in the 125s in the Moto3, and you and young Arthur Sissis, and you were changing, and you had to put the Carlton jumper on, and you, you took your top off, and I remember seeing across your collarbone, uh, you'd had a recent injury there, and the scars there. It is a physically, physically demanding sport. You're involved in one small mistake, and you can be in a lot of trouble. Yeah, you know, we started this year off with a... We started off on the back foot, you know, I broke my, broke my leg two weeks before the first test, like completely shattered it. It's still not quite right yet. And I mean, um, yeah, it, we just started off on the back foot, didn't have much testing and then started getting a ride at a great run in Argentina, but then had a crash in, in Texas again and rebroke it. So, I mean, it's definitely the first part of the season wasn't very nice, but uh, this definitely makes, you know, makes everything worthwhile. That's for sure. All the hard work, all the, all the sacrifices, it's definitely all worthwhile now. Jack, I first heard your name a few years ago now because of the man sitting next to me, uh, Mark Howard, and he told me there's this young kid, he's coming through, he's, uh, you know, he's a gun junior, he's going to skip one level, which we call the reserves, go straight into the A grade. Uh, fair to say, you've, as you've said, you've broken a lot of bones, you've had a lot of falls. This should and will give you a lot of confidence going forward for the rest of your career. Oh, I mean, it's... Uh it's something that no one can ever take away from us. You know, it's an, it's 
the most amazing feeling. And yeah, it's just one thing off my back. You know, we've had a a tough old run, like you say, jumping the Moto Two was hard and and everything like that. And of course, we had a lot of doubters because we did something different. You know, if you ever if you're going to do something different, there's always going to be people who are either jealous or people who are who are negative towards it. So it's just really nice to you know just say, hey, be, be quiet. You know, let us do our job and. And yeah, just gives us a little bit of extra confidence, you know, that I, I, I can win a race and I can run at the front and that sort of thing. But, you know, we've got to be realistic as well where we are at the moment with the bike. We, Honda are doing their best to, you know, keep improving this thing. We've been struggling, you know, the last two years haven't been the easiest for Honda, but they're working as hard as they can within the rules to get us a decent bike for at least for the next season, you know. We're speaking to Jack Miller, Australia's newest MotoGP winner. Just back to the race itself, Jack. For those that didn't see it, it was absolutely hosing down. The first part of the race got red flag, so you came back for an extra 12 laps. You started eighth on the grid at that point. You're about fourth. Immediately, I want your thoughts on a couple of things. Valentino Rossi falls in the lead. What do you think at that point? Oh, man, he was pushing so hard. Like, Mark and I were... We're on it, and when Dovey crashed, he'd crashed it quite easy. Like it was a quite a tricky spot. It had a big, big bit of camper, and there was a lot of sitting water. And you're doing 200 as you go through there, and the bike's aquaplaning a little bit. Wow! And yeah, he mm. just got caught out by that. And then Valet, it, I, I actually crashed there in the in the warm. Uh, sorry, in the qualifying, that was where I lost my lost the same crash I had in the, in the qualifying. It was very slippery, but the way Valet was riding, you know, he was really throwing caution to win. I think he really needed, he was, you know, trying to gain up some points because he saw where Lorenzo was and he, and he saw Mark was behind him and he was really just trying to keep it that way. But, yeah, it was it was an amazing feeling, you know, just to sit behind Mark for a couple laps, see how what he was doing, what I was doing. And, uh, yeah, once we made the move, just try and put that little buffer between us and yeah, managed to keep it there till the end of the race. Well, you talked about making that move. So you're in second behind Mark Marquez, just an unbelievable talent. What made you think, right, I'm not happy with second here, I'm going for the win? Because a second would have been extraordinary for your career and trying to take him when the bike's aquaplaning to take first was a pretty big risk. Yeah, definitely. You know, um, <laughs> you're not the first person to say that, but, I mean, we're all racers, we're all out there to win and, I'd rather, you know, crash out of trying to be first than be content and just ride home in second, that's for sure. And where did the emotion come from, Jack, post-race? Oh, I mean, just like I said, all the, all the hard years, you know, especially when we started out, parents having to mortgage the house and, and you know, my mum living away from my sister for, you know, the first three years of my career while she was in Europe with me and, and just, you know, stuff like that, it just, you know... There's a lot of emotion coming down and a lot of the sacrifices that we've made, not only myself, my whole family. So it's uh, it's definitely, you know, I mean, I spend the day on the phone to them, bloody crying and doing all the stuff that you know, probably men aren't supposed to, but it's uh, I think it's what you're meant to do. Hey, Jack, uh, Casey Stoner, early in his career, he came off a lot too, and uh, he ended up being one of the greats of all time. Do you take a lot of heart from that? Yeah, for sure. You know, I've, I've, there's a lot of great sayings, but there's one uh, I really like. Someone said it to me recently: is you can teach a, a fast rider not to crash, but you can't teach a slow rider to go fast. You know, and I think that's that's a, that's one thing that I really try to take to heart. You know, is that 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 that's the thing we got to try and do. 
Jack, you've got a long season ahead and it'll be a long time before you get back home at Phillip Island. But as I said, I was sitting next to Daryl Beattie in the studio and just to see the joy on his face and the emotion on his face, I think you're going to see a lot of that when you get back to Australia. Congratulations for giving us all a thrill having your first win, mate. Uh, a couple of weeks break and then you're off to Germany to the Saxon Ring. Stay safe and again, congratulations. Australia is just absolutely pumped for you, young man. No, thank you, boys. And thank you to everyone at home, you know, for, for all the support. I'm trying to go through the messages and all that now and, you know, say thank you to everyone as much as possible. But, I mean, you know, the support, us Aussies, we, we love our sportsmen, especially when we're doing well. So, you know, and, and they're the most passionate fans in the world. So big thank you to them and big thank you to you guys as well. Great to speak to Jack Miller. Now that has just put a massive smile on my face, hasn't I'm, it? I'm pretty happy too. Yeah, it was that, just, that is just uh, that is awesome. And uh, we love and honesty I, yeah, in our sports people, and we and, don't often get it. And I love that uh, that little analogy about uh, you know you can teach uh, you can't teach a slow rider speed to speed, but uh, you can teach a fast rider not to come off at some point. And he did that, and he's won his first MotoGP. Well done, Jack. Yeah, well done. And well done to our man, Jakey, who chased young Jack all around the world yesterday getting him on. So, well done. Next, a change of gear. Pardon the pun. Oh. We're talking <laughs> politics from a real going, area where on. we know a lot to an area <laughs> we know bugger we're, all. We're going from a man that's just won his first MotoGP to politics. That's exactly right. Okay. Broom, broom, broom. Election Day, Saturday, July 2, live unrivaled coverage from 5am on Sky News Live, Foxtel Channel 601. Up front and running the whole show will be Sky News political editor and anchor of Sky News, David Spears, who we were just discussing in the break whether we could call him Spearsy. We're about to find out. Hello, David. Everyone else does. Go for it. Spearsy. I I had a mate uh, with the last name Spears, and I called him Spearsy. How are you, Spearsy? Maybe maybe a relative. Maybe a relative. You never know. No, I've I've been Spearsy since I was, I think, five years old. So uh, Already, because this sphere is not one we're that comfortable in, so the fact we can call you Spearsy and you can call us Howie and Duck, it's a great start. (laughs) Spearsy, for the average man on the street, give me two differences, three differences, policy style that we can understand between the Labor operation and the Liberal operation? Well, Labor want to spend more on health and schools. Uh, The government, the coalition, they want to use the money to cut company taxes and they reckon that'll grow the economy and provide the money to do all the things we need. Now, there's also the the budget bottom line. Who's actually going to look after the books better? Labor is saying over the next four years, they'll actually spend a bit more. The budget will be worse but over a decade, if you stick with them, it'll be better. So they're the main differences heading into Saturday. Budget predictions. You know, I heard Joe Hockey and deficits over the last few years. Yep. By gee, you make one statement, but does it actually have any relevance to what will actually occur three, four, five years <laughs> down the track? It's a very good point. They've got it wrong for years and years. Um, it used to be they got it wrong on the downside, so the money had come in even more than they'd expected. These days, mm. for the last, what, eight years, they've got it badly wrong the other way around. So... The deficit keeps getting worse and worse. Now, yeah, they're, they're talking about it'll be all good in five years' time, both sides, so they'll have it balanced in five years' time, but it's a pretty heroic assumption, particularly when you've got all sorts of uncertainties around the world, in Europe, in the UK at the moment, not to mention the prospect of Donald Trump becoming president and so on. So who knows where we'll be in a few years' time. With, with Labor, you, you mentioned health and schools. Can you articulate that a little bit more in depth? Yeah, so for schools, you'll remember the Gonski uh, plan that Julie Gillard actually put in place, and that's to roll out a lot more money for particularly disadvantaged schools, disadvantaged kids. Now, um, Labor wants to continue with that plan. They want to pump a lot more into those schools. 
And hospitals, again, they're saying they would spend about $2 billion more than the government on hospitals to bring them up to scratch and ensure that we all have good hospitals as well. So it essentially is just more spending on these areas. And look, everyone loves more spending on schools and hospitals, but we are pretty deep in deficit. And the question is, I suppose, whether we can really afford that right now. Who's run the better campaign, Spears? Politically and from a PR point of view, who's done a better job? Look, if you'd asked me a week ago, I would have said Bill Shorten. I think he'd outmatched uh, Malcolm Turnbull throughout the campaign. But I do think there have been a few mistakes from uh, from Labor over the last week, particularly on the spending front. Um, they've, they've come in in the last week saying, yep, we are actually going to spend more. It'll be $16 billion more over the next four years. And I reckon in the last week of the campaign, for that to lob out there, when you've now got this Brexit result in, uh, in the UK, everyone's a bit nervous about what's happening with the economy. It's bad timing for Labor. Malcolm Turnbull is peaking right at the end when everyone's starting to tune into this campaign. I think that was the criticism about Turnbull, was the fact that uh, obviously came in, had a lot of popularity, and then all of a sudden not doing too much. You're saying he's now really lifted his game? Yeah, I think so. Look, he's, it's been a very long campaign, and he's stuck with a, a pretty simple message throughout it. You might have heard it, jobs and growth. And he keeps saying it and saying it and saying it. But I think it's now starting to work for him, uh, this simplistic message. Yes, people are disappointed that he hasn't done a lot of the things they thought he might on climate change or gay marriage or the republic. Um, and look, that's a reality of politics, though, for him. Uh, he's taken over from Tony Abbott. He's got a conservative ranks uh, where he's, you know, he can't move too fast on any of those things. So, you know, don't expect him to uh, you know, push for a republic anytime soon, push for radical action on climate change anytime soon. It'll be a steady as she goes leadership from Turnbull. We're speaking to David Spears. Election day Saturday, July 2. You can see it all Sky News Live, Foxtel Channel 601. David Spears, or Spearsy, as he's known to you and I, Duck. Now, Spearsy, what interests me is when they go negative. I'm a positive person mm-hmm. and I like positive results. And it makes it makes me cringe when I hear one side, rather than tell me what they're going to do in a positive sense, they tell me what the other side's doing wrong in a negative sense. And you see these ads pop up. Where does the money come from and who pays for these ads when you see those typical political ads saying, Malcolm Turnbull's going to ruin your future, he's going to rip off your kids, he's not going to give you a hospital, etc. How does that happen? Well, it's a good question where the money comes from for the, this stuff because they, they do hit your screens thick and fast at the end of a campaign in particular, and they all go negative because, sadly, fear works better than hope, uh, they reckon. So right. that's, why, that's why they hammer those negative messages. Um, the money comes from their donors. Now, for the, for the Labor Party, that's largely the union movement. Uh, for the Liberals, that's largely corporate Australia who kick in. They both hold big fundraising dinners and lunches, and they've been doing that quietly over the last eight weeks as well where people will pay even up to 10 grand a head to turn up for an intimate dinner of 10 people or so with, uh, with one of the leaders, and uh, the cash rolls in, and then out it goes on these negative ads. Right. Trump or Clinton on a completely different topic? Who yeah. do you feel and, is going and, to win that And one? what's the difference between the budgets and what they spend on that? Uh... Yeah. <laughs> well, that's right. Look, Trump and Clinton, I, look, I think Clinton would win this one. It's, you know, we've got a way to go there. It's not until November <laughs> over in the US, but she's beating him in the polls already, and that's even after things like the Orlando shooting, which most thought would work in Trump's favour. He's a bit of a hardliner on these sort of things, but she's beating him pretty comfortably in the polls right now. He's going to be a tough opponent, though. I know a lot of people think he's crazy, and there's no way America would vote for him, but look where he's got to. Look where he's got to. He's going to be a tough opponent. The trick for Hillary will be not getting dragged down into the mud uh, with, with Donald Trump and trying to remain presidential, I think, throughout this. It's going to be a fascinating contest. I think 
a lot more interesting than the one we're having here. Speezy, we really appreciate you taking the time to explain to a couple of numbskulls the world of politics. It's it's an honour to talk to you, though. Well, now you you can come on. Next segment, too. We appreciate your time. Have a good week. It's going to be very busy for you. See you, boys. Great to speak to David Spears. explained it nicely for us, didn't he? He did. And once again, I I love it when we talk to someone about things that we don't know a lot about that are simplistic and easy to understand for everyone out there. Because all of our listeners, they don't want to hear jargon that we don't understand. They just want it to be told. I told you, you you were unsure about my fascination with England being beaten by Iceland 2-1. It's just blowing up around the world now, isn't it? It's getting uh, involved. It's an immediate reaction. Yes, the the manager manager has quit after 56 matches in charge, only eight losses. But when they've come to the big stage, Duck, a la Euro and the World Cup, they haven't got the job done. This is the closing moments, England v Iceland in the round of 16 in Euro. Ford for England. Kane has taken it. Makes me feel a bit disappointed that I just went after St Kilda Geelong. Oh, the Saints caused an upset and then stopped talking. Old mate had about a minute and a half worth there lined up. It's a pretty big uh, sort of clip too. Just the ultimate underachievers, big upset. He sort of summed it up fairly uh, fairly well. And threw the capital of Iceland in there? Yes. uh, Where did I write that? (laughs) Reykjavik for the 15th time, Rose. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Captain Geography. Who are you the team of farmers. Seriously, half the team of farmers. I think half the English team will be farmers after this as well. Now, what have you got for us on social media, Rose? Lots of tweets coming into at MMM Hot Breakfast. One from Ty Priest. Only England could exit Europe twice in one week. (laughs) And uh, a lot of famous people getting around it too. Corey McKernan. At this point, England... I know. Is it famous? No, of course I shouldn't have put him first. Should have won a Brownlow. At this point, England fans, don't you wish your ancestors had stolen a loaf of bread 220 years ago and exits were easier (laughs) than this? Andrew Bogut tweeted saying, a number of England fans are protesting the England versus Iceland game to be replayed until they get a result that they're happy with. (laughs) And Gary Lineker, who used to play for England Mm. and now commentator, says, the worst defeat in our history, England beaten by a country with more volcanoes than professional footballers, well played Iceland. Corey Corey McKernan is a massive, massive soccer fan, so he just watches it all. I think we need to get Bozzer on the line. I think he will have been up all night looking after this on Fox Sports. We'll get him on shortly. England have been defeated by Iceland in Euro, knocked out of the comp by a country with 334,000 people. Not many obviously speak Icelandic. This commentator was covering the game, and this is the final goal in for all our Melbourne listeners here that can speak Icelandic in Icelandic. England 
Well, I can well, now speak some Icelandic. Uh, Eastland is Iceland, dirt is two, and neck is zero. And apparently the people of uh, Reykjavik are going absolutely berserk in the streets. That's the capital of They're Iceland, in case you uh, didn't know. <laughs> Björk. Very, very good, Rosie. Uh, now time to speak to the man that used to dominate for Aston Villa and Manchester United. He's now a Fox Sports analyst, and uh, well, I'll be interested to get his take on this result. Good morning to the Boz man, Mark Bosnich. Hello, Bozza. Hello, guys. Good morning to you. Well, not such a good morning for England, was it? Well, it was extraordinary. Before we get to the reaction, tell us about the game itself and what went right for our brothers from Iceland and wrong for our brothers from England. <laughs> well, if, if, if we're, we've only got a couple of minutes for this interview, so I won't, go in, <laughs> I won't go into what went wrong from England. The only thing that went right from them was basically in the first minutes when Raheem Sterling was pulled down and, was, and they got a penalty and Wayne Rooney tucked it away and it looked as though it was going to be you know, you start thinking to yourself, well, you know, this should be absolutely fine. But really, from that moment onwards, um, you have to say congratulations to Iceland. Um, they harried, um, they closed down the space, they defended with their lives, they did the basics really, really well. Um, they got back into it immediately, which was important for them. They got a goal literally up two or three minutes after the, uh, the Wayne Rooney penalty. And then, uh, and then they got a second as well. Um, Joe Hart, the goalkeeper, once again, unfortunately, uh, for England, uh, was left wanting uh, with the goal. And then, um, to be fair to Iceland, um, I can't remember their goalkeeper having to make a really a decent save for the rest of the game. They defended so stoutly, and they and they just showed, um, you know, in, in our game, that regardless of, you know, the team that you're facing, if you're organised and, and you're willing to, to run that bit further and work that bit harder, you can beat anybody. And congratulations to them. But that's that's the poorest English, English performance that I can remember on the world stage mm. uh, in my lifetime. Uh, it's been it's a disappointing week. Obviously, they had the Brexit, um, which has put put the place in political turmoil. Now now they've gone out to Iceland as well, so it hasn't been a good week. Hey, Boz, a good summation, but put it into perspective in terms of odds. I like odds. What sort of uh, you know what what odds well, were they of winning? This? It's not exactly a Leicester City. It's no. not five thousand to one, but well, no, it's not. Big, but Leicester City were five thousand one for the whole season. But for a two horse race, um, I reckon. Look, you know, to, to, if you pick Iceland to win, I reckon we've got something like twenty to one before the wow, game. Wow, in, in a two horse um, race. I mean, some, somebody will probably tweet in or tell us what what it was. But for a two horse race, I mean, not many people. I don't think in their wildest dreams, even those people you spoke about in Reykjavik, would have given their team much of a chance. But they did. And they believed, um, and, and like I said, it, it was a great win for them. I, I know that all the attention would be on, and rightly so, in a way, how poor England were. Uh, however, um, you know, Iceland have got to take a lot of credit because they were absolutely fantastic, and they, they really showed, like I said, um, what it means to you know to, to be an underdog and to make sure that you use your will over somebody's skill. And if somebody's skill is better than yours, but they don't match your will, you're going to get beaten. Let's hear it now from the manager, Roy Hodgson, the manager of England, who immediately resigned his position post-game. These players love to play for their country, and their commitment has been unquestionable. It's been a fantastic journey these four years, and it's one I'll look back with, back on, I should say, or remember, with pride. But these things happen, and all I can do is wish everybody all the very best uh, and hope that you will still be able to see an England team in a final of a major tournament fairly soon. We've been unable to deliver. Bozza, you yourself have known the wrath of Fleet Street. What will the reaction be? Because it'll, you know, we, we've seen pictures when. Uh, 
Beckham fouled Simeone way back in that World Cup when he was just absolutely pilloried and managers dressed up as potatoes and onions and all the type of things that go on there. It'll be a savage reaction. Um, and, and rightly so. Um, look, if they got on to win the tournament, Roy would have got all the credit. Um, and look, his players let him down tonight, big style. But the bottom line is, in, in professional sport, the buck stops with the manager. And uh, look, he, I mean, he'd done the admirable thing by resigning, but you know, he, he was fortunate after the last World Cup to, to continue in the job because they didn't even get past the first round of the last World Cup. And um, it, it is a massive hope to get into a final because this has been quite some time now, uh, you know, with England, um, you know, these failures, and this has been the worst, I would say, of all of them. Um, but something's got to change deep down from grassroots because it just continually to happen. And the players out there today. And they're playing against some of those players. Who, some of those players are actually part-time. Mm. Um, obviously, not all of them, but they, they just didn't look like they wanted to be there. They had no idea what, what they wanted to do. Um, it was kind of like people just passing the buck to each other. And then there's something wrong deep down mentally if you got that on a big stage. Last 16, when you're clear favourites against a team, like I said, with a population of 330,000 people, it, 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 it's, it's a disgrace. It really is. Hey, Bozer, uh, obviously Iceland now take on France. France. Yeah. Uh, oh, any yeah. any chance? Uh, look, I, I wouldn't put anything past them, but I, I, they're going to be very much up against it. France are, are a better team than England. They're playing at home. Um, the last two major tournaments that France have played at home way back in 1984 in, in the Euros, they won it. And in 1998, obviously in the World Cup, they won it as well. Um, so they'll be up against it. But you know what? After today, um, I wouldn't put anything past them. But uh, if I was betting man, or you want to come back to your odds, I'll be putting my money on France. We're speaking to Mark Bosnich, Fox Sports football analyst, on the wake of England being knocked out of Euro by Iceland. We're actually getting you on for a whole different story. We'll ask you one quick question on that now, Boz. Lionel yeah. Messi misses a penalty, uh, and yeah. then Chile win the Copa America over Argentina. And Messi, the greatest player on the planet, retires from Argentina. I'm sure you'll have your opinions. For mine, he will play in the next World Cup. I'll be shocked if he doesn't come back and play for Argentina again. Surely he'll be back for the next World Cup. Yeah, well, that's one way of looking at it. Uh, I can understand that. You know, heat of the moment. I've seen that before with sports people. Um, I, I remember once going to a, an actual a, a middleweight boxing fight and Nigel Ben, who was a great middleweight uh, world champion from England, said the same thing and then he came back and forth and um, look, he's lost the last three finals on the trot, the World Cup, and the last Copa America as well. And the thing is, when, when you're a top player uh, in, in these days in football, um, and, and that has been for quite some time, if you don't get breaks at the end of the season, he's been playing pretty much nonstop because the Copa, they mm. have to have their 100th anniversary and so forth. Um, there has to be a breaking point. You know, you get to a point where it's like, you know, you, know, you can feel your body or your mind, you just, you just completely lose it. Um, and he might be thinking from that point, look, I've given everything I can possibly give. I'm 29 years of age now. Um, I've got to look after in terms of my bodies. I want to continue my club football. So he may be thinking in that way. It, or it could be, like you said, just a heat of the moment thing, and they'll convince him to come out of retirement. But uh, three finals on the trot for Argentina, so that they've lost. Um, so he's obviously very, very disappointed. But that, that's one thing to take into consideration, like I said, because you have such a long, hard season in Europe, nearly 10 months of the year. Then if you have to go with your national team as well, it leaves you very little break then to start again. And there's only so much that the body can take and the mind. That's it. And your body and mind is probably shut after a big night, Boz. So we appreciate <laughs> your time. You go and jump in bed and have a nice no, relaxation. No, no, I'll, I'll have my breakfast first and then, then I'll jump in bed. I've got the, I've got the little one, the little four-year-old come out to about three hours ago. So <laughs> I, she's going to be up soon. So I, I've got to get some type of energy. Good on you, Boz. We appreciate your time.
Take care, guys. Thank you very much. Great to speak to Mark Bosnich. Iceland beating England in Euro. It's mm. quite hard to fathom. We'll Next, just add that to the list. Duck. I know it does your head in, but there is a fascination, especially in Melbourne, about your life, rightly or wrongly. And I know it, it, it's not that exciting. I know, and I know it does your head in. And you came into me yesterday and said, oh, "I've just got back from Bali, mate. I caught up with Arch, and we had a really good chat." And I said, well, I "Yeah, said that to you." Yeah, 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 that's what I was saying. You said that to me, and I said, "Oh, should we should we have a chat about it on the wireless uh, on the show?" And you said, "Oh, mate, we will, but let's wait till the twenty year reunion of the Premiership." is out of the way, which is this Saturday, because you didn't want it to be appearing in the paper, etc., which it now is, and take anything away from what was going to occur this Saturday, which was a wonderful sporting achievement for your footy club. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, obviously, I'd I'd had a little bit of a chat to uh, Kingy, and Kingy went with it on radio yesterday morning. So therefore, and I've spoken to Kingy, and uh, and, you know he he was uh, apologetic about um, bringing it up. And uh, so last night we spoke about it on Talking Footy a little bit, but it was just good. You know what? It was it was really good. It was uh, so. How did it come to it's, pass? It's was take, it, was oh, it... Look, I, I it was a it was a chance meeting that we were, we were both in uh, Bali. I was actually walking down the street with little Charlotte, probably going to get my thirtieth first Nazi Gorang. <laughs> um, I, I don't know how many of those I had over there. I was I was averaging two a day. Um, <laughs> And, uh, and someone said, I think I just saw Arch. And then, um, and it so happened that I was with one of your good friends, Ricky O and Paul LeCuria, and we had our families and we're all just sitting around having a beautiful lunch and, uh, yeah, just got a message saying, let's catch up. And, and we did. And a message was, from Arch. Yeah. And it was, it was, it was great when caught up, had a good chat, just, you know, went over a lot of things and, and, and spoke about the reunion coming up and said how we wanted to make that a special day for everyone. And, and, uh, it was, it was just a refreshing chat that, uh, you know, has, has, you know, and, I, and Arch and I have spoken, you know, 150 times, um, over the last 15 years and, uh, but not in that sort of depth. And, and like I said, it was good. It was, uh, I felt really good coming away from it. I feel really good going about going to the reunion on, on Saturday. And it's a celebration of, um, at that time, young men that uh, were on a journey trying to, you know, fulfil what is the ultimate dream in, in our game. And and not only that, all the staff, the, the doctors, the physios, the directors. The two man. The, the boot starters. Well, I hope the two man goes. Two-time premiership statistician. I didn't know the two man back then. <laughs> Because uh, that'll really flatten him. No, because I the reason why because I wasn't a, I wasn't one of those guys that chased my stats after a game. Kingy would have, on the other no, hand, uh, got to know Jim Man very well because he's uh, he's the stat man. But no, it's all all uh, it, it, it's a posit- It was all positive, and it was a positive thing. And like I said, just can't wait to. Uh, to get there and celebrate uh, on Saturday. But uh, we've obviously got the Saturday rub, which mm. uh, we're doing from in here, mm. Rosie, on uh, on Saturday. So I'll do the Saturday rub and then I'll go down and catch up with a, a few of the boys. Can you give us any indication? It's a private conversation. And as I said, I know you, you hate the fact that people are interested in your life. Can you give us a, a bit of a, dis, a chat about the theme of the conversation with Arch? All, all things that have occurred in in uh in both of our lives so was that that there were so many positives and there's some obviously high profile negatives and i don't want to push you too far on this but was it a difficult conversation at that point mate um to be honest i wouldn't say it was a difficult conversation no uh arch was we're we're both we're both relaxed it's been 15 years we're both relaxed and clearly 
clearly a lot of water has gone under the bridge and um, I think it was an honest and frank and, and laughs and all sorts of stuff. So it was, it was good. And, uh, and, and like I said, feel very comfortable and felt really good after it. I've done a lot of work and um, I've done a lot of work obviously over the last 15 years. And um, What do you mean work? Well, you, you do a lot of work on on yourself, on and, yourself, and, I see, and for, you know all, all sorts of all sorts of work. So, uh, for me, I walked away feeling I just felt really good, felt really good about it, and uh, and I feel really good about going on Saturday. And I was on, I was going Saturday anyway, despite um, um, you know the the, the chance uh, catch up. So um, I just feel better about it. What a wonderful opportunity to catch up. We were just talking. I was saying, I was throwing some names at you, like Glenn Freeborn, Freeborn, and the, these fellas. You know, we go back to 1996, and that's the best thing about a footy club. And you guys achieved it. You must be pumped to get into that room and just catch up. You know, you see the Archers and the David Kings of the world, but these blokes that you played with it now cast all around Australia and the world. You get to see them and talk well, about when uh, you were the best. What, what What's amazing, Howie, is you know, you obviously that's a, a well documented situation, but there's so many different little things that have occurred since and players have moved on in their lives. It'd be players that haven't spoken, you know, more or less since they left the footy club, you know, guys go and get married and they have kids and they get new group of friends. And then there's guys that never got invited to the player's wedding because uh, time had uh, passed. So they go, Oh, you know, why am I, why wouldn't I got invited to the wedding? So all of that stuff will get fixed up and it'll be like, you know, nothing has changed when we, when we get there on Saturday and, and, and just as important, it's more about the guys that had big parts to play. And I'm, and I, and I, and I mean big parts. I mean, you know, the likes of Orbs and these guys and Harry Unglick, the doctor and Roger Moore and Gordon and all of these guys that were, were integral parts and massive in getting you out onto the park every week. They're all going to be there. You know, some of them have um, moved on and mm. got a couple of different wives and, and done this and done that. So finding out about that, um, will be uh, will be interesting. They know all about my life. <laughs> they know. They know. This everything. is what I'm talking about. That fascination. They, they know everything that I've done. Whereas there are a lot of things that these guys have moved on and done that I don't know about. That I'm looking forward to catching up on and and finding out how many kids uh, you know Glenn Freeborn's got and you know I, I, well I know what Belly's doing. I know what Archer's doing and stuff. But I, you know Mick Martin. You know what what uh, what he's about. How old are his kids now? And um, all 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 of that, which will be uh, which will be just great. The stories you'll read about. The stories you'll talk about. The stories you'll watch. Start here. On Triple M's Hot Breakfast, this is The Rule World. That's a nice little uh, it is, and sting it's there. It's always my favourite segment <laughs> like on the that? hot breakfast. Yeah. Hello, Rule. How are you? You could just listen to the sting and then... I can <laughs> no, no. It fascinates me the world in which you operate. Um, it's such a... Oh, it's just made for stories and you tell them made very well. Jimmy well, Cracker was a story in the paper Jimmy yesterday. Cracker, my colleague, Keith Moore. I mentioned him last time I was here. You did. He's uh, produced a book. I was sitting in the next office for a month. He'd come in for a month in his T-shirt and jeans. He had a, a, a month off uh, and he worked 30 days straight writing this book. It was unbelievable. 30, exhibition. It took him 30 days. That's uh, it. My, my, by and large, yeah. yeah. He's, a good, he's, a very, he's an old pro. Yeah. Right. Don't okay. you worry about him. He's a Geordie. He's from yep. north of England. Yep. Hard, hard. Yeah. Used to work in the West in the mines. Keith did. He'll tell you all the stories when he comes in to tell you about the book. But one thing we can reveal is that... Um, Jimmy Cracker was a little bit naughty after all, which will shock you, Wayne. I know that because you uh, thought he's uh, well, a choir boy. Yeah, well, I, I've obviously uh, I never played with Jimmy, but I was at the club when Jimmy was there. Yeah, and, uh, 
understand that he's uh, yeah he's, he's he uh, found himself in some trouble many years ago. He did well, as we most of us know, he got done, uh, and we all thought he was unlucky because he got done taking a car full of um, drugs over to Perth, and we thought, poor Jimmy, you know, he gets does one thing wrong, just one little goat, you know, one one yeah, car one full goat. of full of stuff, <laughs> and they nail him for something like sixteen years. And this was a bit rough because the organisers of the thing only got, you know, four years. But it turns out that Jimmy did talk to a, a big-time police informant uh, and they did record him and he did scott about taking lots of cars full of drugs over. Right. So the truth is that Jimmy was a fairly regular uh, courier of the drugs, which reminds me of um, a lot of stories about hitmen hiding guns at blokes' houses. And, um, you know, might have been Jimmy or his rallies. I don't know. These rumours get around. I just can't. I, I, I'm naive. I live in yeah, you're Bowen Heads. As you know, Rory, just a very quiet little town. I'm sure it has its problems. But when you, well, I used to live in Melbourne. When you talk about drug runs and hitmen, it, it sounds like it's out of a book or a movie, not out of real life. But it obviously is. There's not not a lot of it at Bowen Heads, but no, if you no. go over the river to Ocean Grove, this is just a bit. Right, right. But um, hitmen, ruler. It sounds... It it's, sounds like something you'd well, read in a Mexican cartel, but it's ha- happening here well, in Melbourne. It has been for a long time. You want to hear about more Scallywags? There's another then. book coming out soon. Uh, don't know that I should reveal this, but I will. Go on. It's about uh, Christopher Dean Binns. Not his real name. That's the name he gave himself, B-I-N-S-E. Most crooks, uh, Wayne, uh, would like to get a good nickname. Some, uh, Mostly they don't really get to give themselves a nickname, though. Mostly <laughs> you wait for... Somebody else to give you one. I think we mentioned last time a bloke wanted to call him Mad Charlie, wanted to be Machine Gun Charlie. But of course, they call him Mad Charlie because he was mad, to his great disappointment. Um, but one crook who did give himself a nickname was Badness Bins. Mm. When he broke out of jail, this bloke's on the run, he gets a car and he has Badness number plates. He has a farm up in Queensland called Badlands. He sent, after he did a robbery, he put an ad in. Harold's son, badness is back. He was was one of those folks. After who he liked, did a robbery, he put he it did. out in the Herald badness Sun, is back. and that was his way of keeping a low profile, was that it? That was his way of keeping a low profile. Can you believe these blokes don't? Uh, he's uh, a, you don't want but, to say anything because you never know when you might come across these operators. <laughs> no, well, not at all. I, I'm I'm just as fascinated. I'm a I'm a true crime reader. Yeah, I, I, yeah. yeah absolutely. I love uh, I love the book, so I'll uh, I'll well, definitely uh, buy that. Getting, well, yeah, probably I'll, you'll get one for nothing when Keith comes in. He's yeah, coming in later. You'll have, week. He comes in, you'll have to arm wrestle for it. Yeah, okay. I do like all the uh, all the overseas stuff. I've read I've read two or three versions of the O.J. Simpson book, which Have we you? know that uh, you know the documentary's been done. I, I um, you know I'm fascinated how it all works, and then fascinated how it's all investigated, and fascinated how it all gets. Bug it up and, yeah, and true. Uh, everything else. So, I, yeah, well, I, I like true crime books. Well, I'm very happy about that because um, I've been a publisher of true crime books and it's gratifying to see sportsmen and others um, line up to buy them. In fact, I think the first Chopper book, which John Sylvester and I published, it got. Was that the biggest, it, it, was that the oh, biggest seller? And, and, and most stolen. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but uh, you know what really kicked it along? Uh, there was footage of the Test cricket team of, uh, I'm going to say, 1992, getting on a plane or off a plane in England or wherever, and every one of them had a chopper book in his hand. <laughs> By chance, it, it just went. How, how many? How many was there in the end? The chopper books? How many? Oh, mate, I couldn't have. It'd be. It's. 
hundreds of thousands. We reprinted the first one something like 32 times. I'll never forget, Ruler, uh, on, uh, I was in the newsroom <laughs> at Channel 10 and I was like the light-hearted guy. Yeah. Chopper brought out a CD with songs on it like Chop Your Ears Off. That's what I was called. And I had to go down to a bar in King Street to interview him. Yeah, yeah. I'd never dealt with him before. No. And we walked in there and I introduced myself and he said g'day in his usual gruff way. And then the cameraman turned on his light because it was quite dark and started shooting a bit of overlay for the back of the story with blokes. You've never seen so many blokes jump on the bar, turn away from the camera. Uh, yeah, a lot of people that didn't want to be on film. He's passed. He's passed away. Yeah, he's passed. I've met Chopper once. And uh, what was quite amazing about Chopper was that in person, he was exactly how he was portrayed by... Eric Banner in the movie. It was he spoke, brilliant acting. He spoke exactly the same way. He was exactly that person. So uh, Chopper interesting coached him character. beautifully. Hey? Chopper coached him beautifully. And little known fact, actually wanted him to play the role back when a little known actor from New Zealand called Russell Crowe was really? being touted for it. Oh. Who at that stage was just yep. relatively young. Yep. Yep. But in but in the two years it took to get the film up, uh, Crowe became a superstar. And um, Chopper kicked up for this bloke, Eric Banner, who was basically telling bad jokes on Channel 7 at the time. Was, he, wasn't, he was no star at the time. Yep. And Chopper picked him. He said, this bloke could do me uh, for this reason. And the producers came around to it and they were dead right. And that launched his career. So it uh, was a win-win. Good actor. Have you yeah. got something light-hearted away well, for, just to finish? Relative. A broken leg's light-hearted? Well, it depends whose leg it is, I guess. Well, it's not mine. <laughs> okay, well, go on then. Well, I'll tell you, this is a true story. It happened within the last few weeks. Right. A young man at uh, a town near Shepparton is in the habit of growing dope plants because he's lazy and he thinks he wants to grow dope instead of working. Anyway, he's a big stroppy bloke, local footballer, related to a premiership ruckman, he is. He's related to uh, a Geelong premiership ruckman. And um, there's not many of those. He would be a first cousin of same, right? And uh, this fellow got sad because his neighbour's camel got over the fence and ate his dope plants. (laughs) So being big and stroppy, this this is an absolutely (laughs) true story. (laughs) And he got sad. He got very savage, and he probably ingested, you know, Jim Beam and Speed. And he went over to see the neighbour and had a bit to say. And he's a very threatening sort of bloke, and pretty can go a bit. Anyway, the neighbour thought about this and got very sad himself. And he returned with an iron bar and broke the dope grower's legs. With an iron bar. Mm. So the camel driver. Camels, you know what your mum told you about smoking camels? <laughs> yeah. It's bad for your health? Well, it's not the, it's not realize, the only way they're bad for your health. I didn't realise there were too many camels floating around in the bush. Just, just quietly. Yes. What, what, what happens to a camel when it eats a selection of dope plants? It gets even more obnoxious. <laughs> Page six, two of the head rule. Son today, Gill's Kitchen Rules. Gets all the coaches around there and he uh, he serves up a little bit of dinner. Apparently beef burgundy followed by the sticky date pudding and some Penfold Shiraz. Duck, uh, if you had all the coaches coming around to your place and you had to cook, ducky boy, and I know you like uh, the kitchen. You've probably got a few more qualities here than me. What? Give me your, your entree, your main and your uh, dessert to well, really it, impress people. Well, not. All the coaches are going, just having a look through here. So you've got uh, Alistair Clarkson, Hardwick, Buckley, Brews, Beveridge, uh, both Scott brothers, uh, Richo, Woosher, uh, a few obviously not going, a few of the interstate boys, um, uh, Mark Brayshaw, who heads up the mm-hmm. coaching uh, association. So you've got, there's a mixed bag there. And what I'm trying to say is there are some there that uh, 
yeah, probably indulge a little. You'd be fair to say. Okay, who, who are you trying couple, to? Who, who I'm you're not going to mention. Go on, go on give I'm me a name. To, who I'm indulges? not going to mention. Any, most of those guys keep themselves. Some of them fluctuate a little. Okay, we know that Ruzi's uh, very uh, with the manshakes. He's, he's, uh, he's just are the a, assistant coach. Is fact, there? Ruzi could just eat some uh, pork belly. He could eat uh, anything. He could have some beers and just have a manshake and be as thin as you're uh, ripped. That's the, the way yeah, it works. Exactly. So right. uh, if you well, let, let's no, do it I, together. You start with your entree. I would. I'd start with a little bit of, as an entree, uh, just a rice paper roll with uh, some duck. <laughs> oh, man, it um, always comes back to you, doesn't it? Just, well, Howie, if uh, you you don't dine out as much as myself, but you go out and those rice paper rolls with a bit of duck and a nice little bit of salad in there mixed up with some uh, Szechuan sauce or so, something like that. So you can make that yourself? Yeah, they're easy. You okay. just, uh, you know, just whip that okay. up. Well, yours might be a bit flashy because I don't have much cooking skills, so I'm just going the basic chicken Caesar salad. That's, oh, that's my okay. entree. That's where I'm Come starting. On, Kevin, you're kidding. <laughs> and I, then gonna, and, well, I'm not a good cook. I am a, uh, and I and I like a steak, and I think all of the uh, so your main, guys, your main, your main, your main would be uh, just a, a really nice piece of steak with. You know, all different types of sauces uh, and, and some just some real crisp vegetables. You know, I'm not talking a roasty. I'm talking some crisp uh, veggies. and um, Okay, for, for mine, I think, I'm, well, I'm, I've only got two dishes, so now I've got to go for the main of probably spaghetti bolognese. Oh, <laughs> well, well, I do like, I do. Well, spaghetti bowls are easy. If dish, we're going flash, I'll put parmesan rather than the tasty cheese on the well, top, just and, to spice it up a bit. And, and, and just as a, I like my pasta, a penne uh, matriciana with, you know, oh, make okay. it make well, You're it, providing uh, options quite now. Quite spicy. I have What's done a matriciana? Is a that little the seafood bit of, uh, one? No, 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 no. So penne is a type of pasta. No, no, no. That's, um, well, so what's, what's a matriciana sauce? A matriciana is tomato based uh, with, you've got chili, very okay. spicy. It's got a bit of onion. You've got a little bit of uh, bacon in it as well, which is uh, just really, really nice dish and and good for the skin fold as well because it hasn't got a lot of cream right tomato on. based what are we drinking, drinking. Oh, i've got now i can provide a wine for you i, right, I okay. came across a wine the other day it's called wines by far it's made uh, down my way bannockburn by a, a gentleman by the name of nick far i had a shiraz there the other day ducky boy you need to get yourself one of these wines by far that'll that'll blow the coaches away so that's the only thing i'm doing well i think well the fact that uh, gill is from Originally from South Australia, you'd probably you'll probably get something in from the Barossa. Well, he, he's gone apparently here the Penfold Shiraz. Penfold, yeah, that's well. Penfolds okay. is a nice uh, right, dessert. Nice what are we going for for dessert? Dessert. Well, I've noticed in the paper they say sticky day pudding, so they've gone real real Australia type uh, yep. setup there, which I I quite like. I, I love a nice sticky date. But Can you I cook one of those. But uh, with the caramel sauce or whatever that they put over the top, which is delicious, I'd prefer to make my own fresh custard. <laughs> Custard, Rose, you just can't to, have uh, custard. Custard. It's not 1975. Mate, custard. Oh, good custard. Custard. Oh, custard. yum, Proper yum. vanilla pods. Oh, geez. Custard. Yeah, just a nice custard over top of the uh, sticky date. Custard. You know what I'm going with? What's that? Um, is it Tom and Jerry's, that ice cream? What is it, uh, Rosie? <laughs> ben and oh, Jerry's. Oh, Ben and Jerry's, the old New York triple uh, choc the cheese Hoboken fudge. Oh, one? Rosie. Mm. All right. I think we need to strike I'll tell you what, actually, I've, I've just thought of mine. Oh, Penfolds is a nice drop, but I would probably prefer a nice Henschke. 
<laughs> I tell you, you've got all these fancy labels. Get a nice hench gig would be uh, very nice. And Gil, and I know Gil, Gil would be listening. He listens uh, every morning mm. to Ed. I'm not sure he listens to us. <laughs> but uh, I don't if, think he uh, does. If he is, and the, any of the coaches are listening, I'd be uh, putting in an order for just uh, some real nice hench gig. Penfold is nice. I but... told you, mate, you go local Bannockburn wines by far. You got, I'm going to get you <laughs> one of those. That will rock your socks. World exclusive tonight on the Seven Network in Cold Blood, the Chris Lane story. Tuesday, 28th of June, that's tonight at 8.30pm on 7. The man behind it is the foreign correspondent for the Seven Network. He does an amazing job and he's had a tough time because he's had some tough stories to cover recently, including what happened in Florida by the name of Mike Amor, who joins us on the line now. Good morning, Mike. How are you? Uh, morning, Howie. Morning, Wayne. Wonderful to speak to you. This story of yours, it's causing an enormous amount of publicity. Um, we're a little bit familiar with the backstory, but for those that aren't, can you just fill us in? And what was it like to have to sit down with some of these people involved? Yeah, it, it, it involves um, a wonderful young man, 22-year-old Chris Lane, who was in America on a baseball scholarship. He went for a jog on a country road in Duncan, Oklahoma, August 2013, and three teenagers, just age 15, 16, and 17, were driving in a car and shot poor Chris in the back as he was jogging, and he died almost instantly on that side of the road. I got to sit down face-to-face with one of Chris's killers, a young man by the name of Michael Jones. He was the driver of the car that was used in the, in the murder of Chris Lane. He is uh, serving life in an Oklahoma prison uh, with a minimum of uh, 36 years. So um, it was tough. I've got to tell you, it was a tough interview. He wanted to apologize directly to Chris's wonderful parents and in the hope that perhaps even he might meet them one day. Um, and you'll see the response in the documentary uh, tonight. Was, was there a lot of remorse with uh, Michael Jones? Did you, did you pick up a lot of remorse? I, I remember, it was a, you know, obviously a year ago now, it didn't seem to be a lot... Um, during the, the the court case, from what and we only get given obviously certain pictures, but did there was there a lot of remorse from young Michael Jones? Wayne, lots of tears. Um, he, he showed remorse, but um, a lot of uh, people, including the police and the parents, believe it's just jailhouse remorse that he's only regretting it now because he got caught, um, and you know he's going to spend a long time behind jail behind bars. The man who shot Chris. Uh, who was just 16 at the time, Chancy Luna, will spend the rest of his days behind bars. And you know, a lot of people would argue that's where they uh, deserve to be. The interview with Michael, fascinating. How were you able to organise that without giving away trade secrets? Because you've obviously had to go behind the bars of a prison to get this done, Mike. Yeah, I mean, in, in America, it's you know it's not all that common, but it's not rare. It's not all that rare either to get into a prison to talk to a prisoner. You have to get them to agree to talk to you. We wrote them, uh, all three of them, a letter, and he is the one who responded um, and because he wanted to um, apologise for what he'd done and explain the actions to the parents. Whether that is um, that satisfies uh, Chris's parents, Peter and Donna, you know, you'll see tonight. Without giving uh, too much away... Was it, is it true that the, these three young men, you know, in the car, as you said, um, it, was, it, was, it was all it was for fun? There was, there was nothing other than to say this is just something that, you know, we, we want to do for a bit of fun. 
Wayne, it's really difficult to make any sense of this, no matter how you look at it, which angle you look at it from. But you'll see in the police interview from Michael Jones um, tonight, he initially said that they did it because they were bored. And that was the, the headline that kind of shocked the world, really. It really hit America very hard. Um, Jones still can't explain why they targeted poor Chris. Police believe they saw him jog past a well-known drug house uh, and hunted him down, basically, um, and celebrated. It's hard to hear, isn't it? Celebrated mm. after he was killed. Uh, it's just so senseless. It's a horrible story. Seven News investigates in cold blood the Chris Lane story tonight, 8.30pm on 7. We appreciate you having a chat with us, Mike. We're a massive fan of your work. I really enjoy seeing what you do from all parts of the world. It must be a fascinating role you have. And next time you have some time, you'll have to have a come on and have a chat about some more positive stories you've covered. Thanks for your time. Would love to. Thanks, guys. A bit more sport just coming to the attention now. Mick Fanning has announced uh, that he will compete at Jeffreys Bay. That's the next surf event on the WSL Tour starting on the 7th of July. Now, this is obviously the event last year in the final when he was out there competing alongside his countryman Julian Wilson where he got attacked by the shark. I did have a chance not long ago to sit down with Mick and have a chat with him about various things. And this was his response when I asked him what he would think and why he would go back and compete at Jeffreys Bay. Look, for, for me, it's, it's more about um, going back and, and sort of almost righting a bit of a wrong. Um, yeah. You know, it, it's, uh, I've had so many great memories there over the years, had so many great experiences, got so many great friends, and, and the people there are incredible. So for me, it's just about going back and just almost showing them some support, but also, as I said, just... just um, writing something you know my last surf there was was that um so i want to just yeah change that and just make the course uh positive again so he says my last surf there was that he doesn't actually mention the shark itself i find this a a phenomenal decision and a phenomenal reason that he wants to go back there and support the people that have been great to him to jump back in the water there what what as a as a non-surfer duck as Mm. as a a normal person who has a great fear of sharks, as most people do. What, yep. where, where, what do you think about this? Oh, it's it's courageous. There's no there's no other way of putting it because mentally so strong. Well, ab- absolutely. And and uh, well, I thought he was going on a on a year break, which clearly he's sort of had a little bit of a break. But he's come back a little bit quicker than what he. Oh no, he surfed various events. He surfed in Fiji, surfing at J Bay. Well, he is surfing. The prime waves on the tour yeah, is what but he's the, doing. This, this, yeah, it is. It's, it's all of that because the memory. I mean, I look. I've never had an experience with a shark, but I just know myself because of all the different shark attacks. That now, when you're out in the water, there's a there's mm. a genuine fear, and especially at J Bay in South Africa, where you know there's uh, there's an abundance of sharks. That's that that is ridden with white pointer sharks there they've got a, a and i've told you this before they've got a an island called seal island which is uh, just near cape town where you go diving with white pointers which i've i've done mm. albeit i had a cage around me mm. and uh it was just unbelievable to have you know five or six white pointers just swimming around you all the time and you know oh. biting at the cage and everything else it, it it is seriously scary and he's had one at his surfboard and he's going to go out and do it again. And, uh, yeah, yeah it's, there's no other way of putting it as, as, as simply as courage. I've surfed at Jeffreys Bay quite a few years ago now. You and have. it is, uh, sh- sharks aside, it is a 
pumping wave. Like it is just, it's, it's like a cartoon wave. It looks like it's the perfect a, wave. I just, we, funnily enough, just uh, as we were talking about that, it came up on mm. the TV here in the studio. Mm. So it's a right-hander. Oh, it's a right-hander that just goes and goes. And, oh, duck. How it many, is absolute heaven. Just, no, to, seriously. just to get into a little bit of surf talk. Mm. So that's a right-hander. How many, not a lot of right-handers around the world. But would they predominantly be right or left? No, but it is sort of depend on the coastline. It is. It is. All right-handers down where I said. 50, yeah, 50, 50. 50. Okay. I've seen a shark, I reckon, three times in the water. The only time I've come across a really big shark was off the coast of Tonga. And I was we're at, not talking at about gubby camp. sharks. No, we? we're not talking about. We're talking about sort of a big shark, a bigger shark as you ever want to see. The water there is very clear, and I think it was a, probably a big bronze whaler. And I was out with the guy that owned the surf camp, and his daughter and his son, and we're out there and we saw this shark quite clearly. And I'll never forget it. Old mate that ran the surf camp said, "Everyone gather together. Everyone gather together. Everyone gather together." And his nineteen-year-old daughter said, "Stuff that dad and started paddling on <laughs> the beach." Mean, I was in that fast just, with her. Just quickly to talk about the courage, we spoke to Rodney Eid on Triple M on Sunday. Sunday, mm. And he spoke about his taking up paddle boarding up on the Gold Coast. Oh, rocket, is he? Yeah, so he, he got a paddle board on the on the river, thinking, "Oh, this is okay." Anyway, he's paddling along. Obviously, he's never really done it before. He's not a he's not a uh, ocean person. Doesn't strike me as an ocean no, man. No, so he's uh, he's on the river, and he said he's fallen off, and people are going, "Mate, you do know this bull shark? Bull shark in <laughs> so, the Gold Coast canals? Yeah, there, huh? so uh, so guess what? No more paddling for Robbie Ead. <laughs> <laughs> Good on you, Rob. He's not, he's not exactly Mick Fanning, is he? No, fair enough. Eh? It's been a big show. I guess the biggest sports story of the day, the English manager uh, was... Well, he quit straight well, he quit. after Stood England down. were rolled 2-1 by Iceland in the round of 16 in the Euro. We picked up some of the commentary from Iceland, which capital is... Uh, where are we? Rakovic. <laughs> That's it. And it's got 350,000 people, Iceland as a country. Massive upset. They knocked out England. This is how it went down. The final goal, they won 2-1. This is in Icelandic. You know what I take from that? He's happy. That Icelanders would make great lovers, Ducky. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> sensational. Oh, because I'm not sure I'd talk about that. They certainly that. enjoy themselves. Uh, Lockie Holm will come in tomorrow, a superstar actor, yep. offspring to talk all things Big acting show. and sport and a lot more to get on. All right, Ducky, you go back and have your little nap. Well done, Rosie. Thanks to everyone out there. Done a magnificent job, Sarah and Jake. And well done. We heard from Jack Miller as well. We might play a bit more of that tomorrow because that was absolutely fantastic yep. to speak to the Look Moto GP to champion. All right, have a great day, everyone.